This podcast is brought to you by everythingvoluntary.com. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Thinking and Doing. If you're new here, let me tell you what this podcast is all about. This podcast is an exploration of logical fallacy, cognitive bias, stoicism, and life pro tips. Thanks for listening, and please enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. We're going to look at two different cognitive biases today, and as we've done, we're going to use Rolf DeBelli's The Art of Thinking Clearly to explore them. We're going to start with the forer effect, and then we're going to look at association bias. So I'm just going to read through what uh, DeBelli writes for The Forer Effect, which is a chapter he's titled, How to Expose a Charlatan, and then I'll add some commentary. He says, Dear reader, it may surprise you, but I know you personally. This is how I would sum you up. You have a great need for other people to like and admire you. You have a tendency to be critical of yourself. You have a great deal of unused capacity, which you've not turned to your advantage. While you have some personality weaknesses, you are generally able to compensate for them. Your sexual adjustment has presented problems for you. Disciplined and self-controlled outside, you tend to be worrisome and insecure inside. At times, you have serious doubts as to whether you've made the right decision or done the right thing. You prefer a certain amount of change and variety and become dissatisfied when hemmed in by restrictions and limitations. You pride yourself as an independent thinker and do not accept other statements without satisfactory proof. You have found it unwise to be too frank in revealing yourself to others. At times, you're extroverted, affable, and sociable, while at other times, you're introverted, wary, and reserved. Some of your aspirations tend to be pretty unrealistic. Security is one of your major goals in life. Do you recognize yourself? On a scale from 1 to 5, 5 being excellent, how was my assessment? In 1948, psychologist Bertram Forer crafted this exact passage using astrology columns from various magazines. He then gave it to his students to read, suggesting that each person was getting a personalized assessment. On average, the students rated their characterizations 4.3 out of 5. That is, they gave Forer an accuracy score of 86%. The experiment was repeated hundreds of times in the decades that followed with virtually identical results. Most likely, you gave the text to Forer 5.2. People tend to identify many of their own traits in such universal descriptions. Science labels this tendency the Forer effect, or the Barnum effect. The Forer effect, that's F-O-R-E-R, explains why the pseudosciences work so well, astrology, astrotherapy, the study of handwriting, biorhythm analysis, palmistry, tarot card readings, and the seances with the dead. What's behind the Forer effect? First, the majority of statements in Forer's passage are so general that they relate to everyone. Sometimes you seriously doubt your actions. Who doesn't? Second, we tend to accept flattering statements that don't apply to us. You are proud of your independent thinking. Obviously, who sees himself or herself as a mindless follower? Third, the so-called feature-positive effect plays a part. The text contains no negative statements. It states only what we are, even though the absence of characteristics is an equally important part of a person's makeup. Fourth, the father of all the fallacies, a confirmation bias. We accept whatever corresponds to our self-image and unconsciously filter everything else out. 
what remains is a coherent portrait. Whatever tricks astrologers and palm readers can turn, consultants and analysts can too. The stock has significant growth potential even in a very competitive environment. The company lacks the necessary impetus to fully realize and implement ideas from the development team. Management is made up of experienced industry professionals. However, hints of bureaucratization are noticeable. A look at the profit and loss statement clearly shows that savings can be made. We advise the company to focus even more closely on emerging economies to secure future market share. Sounds about right, no? How do you rate the quality of such a guru, for example, an astrologer? Pick 20 people and secretly assign each a number. Have him characterize the people and write his assessments down on cards. To ensure anonymity, participants never find out their numbers. Afterward, each receives a copy of all the cards. Only when the majority of people identify their description as their real talent at hand. Is their real talent at hand? I'm still waiting. Um, okay, that's the end of what he wrote. Um, the forer effect. This is a really interesting one, I think, because there, probably throughout human history, there have been charlatans, con men, and con women that have used the forer effect to essentially tell people what they want to hear. And I don't think, I don't think that we can, from that, um, this is just a little aside, I don't think that we can conclude from that that there are not some positive benefits of people being told what they want to hear. I think that for a lot of people, it ends up being very beneficial, even if it is, even if it is just a placebo-like effect. If it's if somebody is hearing these positive type things about themselves, you know, at a at a time where that's what they need to hear, then that can be uplifting. It can be um, confidence building. It can be, you know, have other effects similar to those where they they do end up believing in themselves more than maybe they did when you know before they heard this message. So I don't I don't want to. The four effect I think is important to be mindful of so that you're not fooled yourself um, over something important. I mean, he gives the example at the end there about um, a particular stock and how you can write, you know, this this type of uh, these type of things for for you know particular stock. And then if you're a if you're somebody selling that stock, then you know you may you may end up buying something that is not going to be um, as profitable as you hope it is or as beneficial to you. That's probably the type of situation where the four effect is. Um, more dangerous. I think with the the palm readers and the tarot card readers or the fortune tellers, whoever, when they're uh, when somebody's um, goes to them and they're being told what they want to hear, and that has these effects of of like I mentioned before, the the boost in self confidence. They then you know move forward in their life and and truly have a better time of it. Then that seems fine to me. Um, and it's interesting because uh, I've actually, um, so I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Penn Jillette and uh, the show he used to he used to make called Bullshit with with both him and Teller. And one of the episodes they did was ex- was exposing um, these type of people for you know, in essence, uh, their bullshit. He, uh, I understand, uh, listening to his podcast, which I don't do regularly anymore, but. He talk, he's talked about that recently, and he actually feels bad about coming, coming down so hard on those, those guys because he, 
himself now recognize the beneficial nature um, for people who visit those kind of people and get, get told, you know, these type of things, get told what they want to hear. So he softened on that. And I think, I think that's probably wise. I don't know that it is totally fair to say that these people are just ripping other people off and they're just, uh, you know, engaging in, in, in being charlatans because of that. But it's also important, I think, for everybody to understand the four effect and what it is. And I don't know, maybe that would inoculate you uh, somewhat against the true bullshit artists, the people who are just trying to um, sell you something that truly isn't going to be for your benefit. But it might also keep you from, you know, the tarot card readers that that could be beneficial. <laughs> so I don't know. It's kind of a kind of a mixed batch there. So, all right, let's go on to the next one. We're going to look at uh, the association bias. And the title of this chapter is Why Experience Can Damage Your Judgment. Mm. All right, we'll read what DeBelly writes. And the last one was chapter 64. This is chapter 48. I don't know if I've been saying that with these, but oh well. All right, here we go. Kevin has presented his division's results to the company's board on three occasions. Each time, things have gone perfectly. And each time, he's worn his green polka dot boxer shorts. It's official, he thinks. These are my lucky underpants. The girl in the jewelry store was so stunning that Kevin couldn't help buying the $10,000 engagement ring she showed him. 10000 bucks was way over his budget, especially for a second marriage. But for some reason, he associated the ring with her and imagined his future wife would be just as dazzling. Each year, Kevin goes to the doctor for a checkup. Generally, he's told that for a man of 42, he's still in pretty good shape. Only twice has he left the practice with worrying news. Once the problem was his appendix, which was promptly removed. The other time it was a swollen prostate, which upon further inspection turned out to be a simple inflammation rather than cancer. Of course, on both occasions, Kevin was beside himself with worry when leaving the clinic, and coincidentally, both days were extremely hot. Since then, he, was, he has always felt uncomfortable on, on very warm days. If the temperature starts to heat up around one of his checkups, he cancels right away. Our brain is a connection machine. This is quite practical. If we eat an unknown fruit and feel sick afterward, we avoid it in the future. Labeling the plant poisonous or at least unpalatable. This is how knowledge comes to be. However, this method also creates false knowledge. Russian scientist Ivan Pavlov was the first to conduct research into this phenomenon. His original goal was to measure salivation in dogs. He used a bell to call the dogs to eat, but soon the ringing sound was, was enough to make the dogs salivate. The animal's brains link two function, functionally unrelated things, the ringing of a bell and the production of saliva. Pavlov's method works equally well with humans. Advertising creates a link between products and emotions. For this reason, you'll never see Coke alongside a frowning face or a wrinkly body. Coke people are young, beautiful, and, and oh so fun, and they appear in clusters not seen in the real world. These false connections are the work of the association bias, which also influences the quality of our decisions. For example, we often condemn bearers of bad news since we automatically associate them with the message's content, otherwise known as shoot the messenger syndrome. Sometimes, CEOs and investors unconsciously, steer, steer clear of these harbingers, meaning the only news that reaches the upper echelons is positive, thus creating a distorted view of the real situation. If you lead a group of people and don't want to fall prey to false connections, direct your staff to tell you only the bad news and fast. With this, you overcompensate for the shoot the messenger syndrome, and believe me, you'll start to hear enough positive news. In the days before email and telemarketing, traveling salesmen went door to door peddling their wares. 
One day, a particular salesman, George Foster, stood at a front door. The house transpired to be vacant, and unbeknownst to him, a tiny leak had been filling it with gas for weeks. The bell was also damaged, so when he pressed it, it created a spark and the house exploded. Poor George ended up in the hospital, but fortunately, he was soon back on his feet. Unfortunately, his fear of ringing doorbells had become so strong that he couldn't carry out his job for many years. He knew how unlikely a repeat of the incident was, but for all he tried, he just couldn't manage to reverse the false emotional connection. The take-home message from all this is phrased and most aptly by Mark Twain. We should be careful to get out of an experience only the wisdom that is in it, and stop there, lest we be like the cat that sits down on a hot stove lid. She will never sit down on a hot stove lid again, and that as well, but also she'll never sit down on a cold one anymore. All right, I really, <clears throat> that's the end of that. I really like, um, I really like this one. I think it's um, quite prevalent. Um, there are, you know, the association bias, I think it's association bias, can be one way to develop habits, right? Such as, you know, a morning routine. Um, if you If you do specific actions in sequence, then just starting the first action can produce that that uh, uh, that that drive of sorts to continue on to the next and then the next and then the next. So you can build for yourself a routine and then that routine can become habit. It's kind of like the Pavlov's dogs where they hear the bell, they begin to salivate. Um, there may be some other tricks you can do to to build habits that are along those lines, I think. But it's there's probably um, there's probably associations we've made and we we don't even know that we've made them. And some, sometimes the associations like, like with the gentleman at the end with the, with the doorbell and the house exploding, I wonder how many fears that people have are rooted in the association bias, possibly something that happened in um, early childhood, either um, directly related to the fear or adjacent enough that the fear is what manifests because their mind makes connections later on maybe maybe incorrectly that that uh you know something negative had happened to him and it's it's the fault of this thing and because it's sort of just this fear and we don't remember the source of it it could be that it just happened something that happened in early earlier childhood where we we don't have that memory or it was such a powerfully negative experience that it's re- repressed in a way where we retain the fear right but we don't have the associated memory of how that fear came about like this guy here where he has this fear of doorbells now, but he, he knows, he knows where that comes from. He's, you know, was old enough when the experience happened. And for him, it's, it's probably just a matter of slowly maybe playing with, with totally disconnected doorbells, just, you know, sitting in his lab, pushing them and then moving on to, to using the doorbell in his own house and then to other people's houses, you know, and kind of growing out of that fear in that way. Um, I think the the practice of doing that, it, it may not be exactly that way. I think it's called cognitive behavioral therapy, where you take very minor, very minimal versions of, of what you're afraid of and you work your way up. That, that might be something else I'm remembering. But um, yeah, I think association bias is pretty strong and it can, it can be difficult sometimes, I think, to even recognize that you um, have fallen prey to this because it may not be a fear. It may be, um, I think for me personally, whenever there's 
any sort, whenever I either consciously or unconsciously, or whenever I um, perceive some sort of an authority-based threat, my body will produce anxiety. And I believe it's because of the fear and the anxiety I was made to feel as a child when I would be expecting one or both of my parents to be very angry with me and to and to punish me um, in, in physical or frightening ways. I would just sit there and, and be incredibly anxious of this impending doom. And so now whenever I see like Whenever I get a letter from uh, some 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 kind of an authority, like uh, you know, like the county or the city or the IRS or whatever, my body will go and you know will immediately start producing the cortisol that generates that feeling of anxiety. And you know, it's it's um, and I know there there are things you can do to to calm yourself down. But I I think that's where that comes from is is comes from the you know that those experiences I had. So now I have this association with um, the, the possibility of some authority being unhappy with you and my body becoming anxious about that. That's, you know, that's probably a common, uh, that's probably a common thing for people, especially for people who were uh, treated that way as a child. But anyway, that's probably my strongest experience with association bias. I thought I'd share, but um Okay, I think that's going to do it for this episode. We looked at the Forer effect and we looked at association bias. All right, thanks so much for listening and have a better day. Please send your comments or questions to thinkinganddoingpodcast at gmail.com. Will you do me a big favor? Will you rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening from? That really helps. And one more thing, please share the podcast with your friends.